Porcelain travels, humor, horror, and revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers encountered on my travels. Excerpted from my new book of the same name, Porcelain Travels, out 1111, and narrated by me, Matthew Felix. Please welcome Matthew Felix. Or apparently reading a literary events. Um, so I want to thank Litquake, I want to thank Larry and Traveler's Tales, I want to thank House, by in particular, and my friends who have come, particularly one who's not feeling so well, but in particular I want to thank someone that I met on BART today. Maxine, where did you go? There she is, she's all the way. We met on BART today coming from, Mil from San Carlos and talked for about two hours, and I told her about this event, and it turns out that her daughter is also a travel writer. So talk about serendipity, so thank you again. And she brought like six or seven people, including a four-month-old grandchild. So, thank you. All right, I don't like having the podium in the way, so I'll see if I can do this with uh, two hands. So this is a story that is uh, from this new collection that doesn't actually exist yet, although it will on November 11th. This is the first physical copy. And this book is called Porcelain Travels, and it's about humor, horror, and revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers encountered on my travels. And so, uh, so this is one of the stories. It's called Let It Flow. I had enough experience to know what to expect on a Turkish bus. Before I had boarded, like a plant struggling in the stifling heat, I questioned how much longer before I withered. Now I'd gone from one extreme to the other. The interior of the bus was subsumed in an arctic chill. Long-distance Turkish buses tended to overcompensate for the severe summer temperatures by subjecting their passengers to a wintry cold. Just like when American retailers and restaurants did the same thing, I hated it. How many times had I ended up with a splitting headache? Never mind my annoyance at such a decadent waste of energy. My jacket, a sandy-colored suede one from the 70s, given to me by the great uncle who had also given me his name, laid on the window next to me, or the window seat next to me. The bus pulled out of the station, and the trip got underway. Not including stops, the trip to Eskishahir was about a four-hour one. Although we would pass through other urban areas, once we eventually left Istanbul behind and crossed into Anatolia, the Asian name, or the name of the Asian part of Turkey, much of the trip took us through rural landscapes. Other than harsh grasses and weathered rock, the hilly terrain was Spartan for the most part. There weren't many trees, and there wasn't much water, with the notable exception of a huge freshwater lake whose shores we briefly followed. Because of the heat, at the terminal, I drank a lot of water. I'd been conscious not to overdo it since I was about to get on a long-distance bus. Still, I was sweating out the water almost as fast as I consumed it. Not drinking enough posed an even greater risk than possibly drinking too much. I tried to find the right balance, sipping from the water bottle as opposed to taking long gulps and making sure I went to the bathroom before our departure. My foresight helped, but there was never any chance I'd make it the entire trip without going to the bathroom. Drop by drop, like sands in an hourglass, fluid trickled from my kidneys to my bladder. At first it wasn't that bad, and I easily put it out of my mind. As more and more scenery rolled by, however, a pressure began to build on my insides. Soon I was unable to ignore it. It was like needing to pee in the middle of the night and realizing that try and try as you might, you're never going to fall back to sleep until you do. I really had to go. There wasn't a toilet on the bus, 
I knew from previous trips that we'd be stopping midway for a bathroom break. Based on how long we'd been traveling, that had to be sooner rather than later. I crossed my legs a little tighter, again trying not to think about it. Again, I failed. Miserably. A half an hour later, we were still in the middle of nowhere. Nothing in the barren landscape suggested we were near any sort of civilization, nor had there been any road signs offering hope we'd be stopping anytime soon. Meanwhile, pressure had turned to pain. My bladder was starting to hurt. The situation was no longer simply about needing to pee, or even needing to do so badly. It was fast becoming about a potential medical emergency. I didn't know what to do. Surely we'd be at a rest stop shortly, thank you. We had to be. We'd already been traveling for more than two and a half hours. But that wasn't the point. The point was that I had to go. Now, rest stop or no rest stop, my bladder had exceeded its capacity and it was threatening to burst. The pain became serious enough that I considered asking the driver to stop so I could urinate on the side of the road. I could already anticipate his reaction. The self-important Maricola wanted his needs prioritized over those of everyone else on the bus, just because he had to pee. He couldn't wait until the bus stopped, like the rest of the passengers, none of whom would even think of making such a shameless request. The driver, of course, would have no way of knowing I'd been on countless long-distance bus trips and never once found myself in such dire straits. He'd just think I was an entitled, whiny pain in the ass who spoke really bad Turkish. Please, piss my making very necessary became. <laughs> I couldn't do it. But neither could I wait. Not for another moment. It was no longer an option. I had to go, and I had to go now. I looked around. The bus wasn't very full, at least not in my immediate vicinity. The seats on the other side of the aisle were unoccupied. There was someone directly behind me, but the seat between them and the window was vacant, just like mine. There were people in the row in front of me, but I was less concerned about them. They were facing the other way. I looked at my water bottle. It was almost empty. I looked at my jacket. It was still lying on the seat, unused. That was about to change. Looking around one more time to make sure the coast was clear, I picked up my water bottle and drank the last few gulps. Ironic, perhaps, given my dilemma, but I didn't want it to go to waste, and I needed the bottle. I reached for my jacket and spread it over my lap. Was I really going to do this? I mean, more importantly, could I really do this? Could I pull it off? Never mind the logistics. What about the sound? It was a universal one, one the other passengers would instantly recognize. How could I hide it? The bus was poorly insulated from outside noise, but neither that nor the lively but feeble radio up front would come even close to drowning out what I was about to do. A sharp stabbing pain shot through my lower abdomen, the worst yet, I didn't have a choice. Unfortunately, neither did I have a third hand. I could have used two for the bottle alone, which required exact positioning. But then there was also the writhing one-eyed monster himself, whom I had to align with the bottle opening, again with a precision leaving no margin for error. It was like trying to force-feed a cat its medicine, somehow holding its mouth wide open while getting the pills down. More difficult still, given that I couldn't watch. I needed help. The entire operation, after all, had to be executed beneath my jacket, raising another issue. I needed yet another hand, I was now at four or five, to hold the jacket over the bottle. Otherwise, I risked peeing on it. My internal organs now on the verge of failure, their painful reminders increasingly frequent, each time more severe, I gave it a go. I hoped to discover that I'd been overthinking things, that my concerns had been exaggerated, and instead they proved right on the mark. I didn't have enough hands. I got the bottle into what felt like the right position, but I struggled to keep the opening of my flaccid manhood aligned with it. 
Perhaps if it weren't flaccid. Maybe I needed to wake the sleeping beast. Even with the jacket over my lap, what that would require seems sure to raise suspicions, if not get me thrown off the bus, or beaten, or jailed. My jacket posed a real problem, too. I had to have it over my legs for privacy, but like so many clinging shower curtains elsewhere on my travels, it kept getting in the way. Challenges notwithstanding, I still had to pee. Thank you. I took a deep breath. I tried to relax. I willed the floodgates to open. Apparently they were on lockdown. Never in my life had I needed to urinate so badly, and yet despite the ridiculous lengths to which I'd just gone so that I could, nothing came out. I started to panic, but then I caught myself, again trying to relax. I was in real pain, I had to figure this out, I had to forget about the unusual circumstances. I had to think about flushing toilets and cascading waterfalls and dams breaking. I had to visual visualize myself alone in the middle of a pristine field, peeing for the sheer pleasure of it, for no other reason than because I could, making sure not to stand facing the wind. Without warning, the bus slowed and jerked to the side. I looked up. A rest stop. My bladder may just have refused to let out so much as a drop, but my eyes were suddenly moist with tears. Tears of joy. Tears that, oddly enough, smelled of the asparagus I'd eaten the night before. <laughs> I hoped that in addition to toilets, a cafe, and a mini-mart, the little complex also included an organ transplant facility. I found comfort in the fact that not being in my own country, I might actually be able to afford the procedure. The bus hadn't even come to a halt before I was on my feet. That's when I discovered I could barely walk. My lower abdomen was an excruciating tangle of cramps so severe my bladder might have been hemorrhaging. Standing up was hard enough. Putting one foot in front of the other was unbearable. My abs, my back, my thighs, every muscle was as tight as a closed fist. The pain wasn't just something I could play off. There was no grinning and bearing it. Instead, I hobbled down the stairs in agony as incapacitated as a frail nine-year-old man. One of the first off the bus and the last to the restrooms I was a turtle surrounded by hairs, everyone whizzing by me on their way to empty their own overflowing bladders. By the time I made it to the toilets, most of the first wave of passengers had come and gone. I went into a stall for some privacy. I knew I was also going to need some time. As foreshadowed by my frustrated attempt on the bus, after putting so much effort into holding back the deluge, my body couldn't just flip a switch and let it all come rushing out. Muscles had to relax. I had to breathe. My entire body had to get the message. It was okay to go now. Finally, a couple of minutes later, in a dark, dirty stall at an anonymous roadside stop in western Anatolia, I had the most satisfying, mind-blowing gusher of piss my body has ever known. The force was like the kickback of a revolver. The mighty stream flowed on and on and on. Then it flowed some more. It flowed for so long, I began to wonder when it would end. I almost started to fear, fear being left behind unable to pull myself away from the restroom as the bus pulled away from the rest stop. If I'd been peeing into a toilet instead of a dark hole in the, dank hole in the ground, it might have overflowed. Yet even then, I would have been powerless before the unstoppable outpouring. As pressure had given way to unbearable pain, pain now gave way to delirious pleasure. I had experienced less satisfying orgasms. I feared being on the verge of one now, so sublime was the release, so exquisite the rush. Having peed on half of my body weight, I shuffled back to the bus. Whereas ordinarily I would have grabbed something to drink for the second leg of the trip, this time I didn't so much as glance at the mini-mart, never mind set foot in it. I wasn't thirsty. Thank you.